Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of America podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, David, and the other ring leader of this traveling circus is Mr. Ian Rice. Ian, how are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I am well. I am well. It's been a good week. One that we'll always remember, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, um... We're a little bit after Record Store Day, and, and you know, thank goodness uh, you and your wife got me a copy of Lines, and you mailed it down here to me, and I got it. And, man, I got to tell you, like, they've done some tinkering on, on that, don't you think? I don't know if it's, like, tinkering so much as just, like, maybe the re- the mastering process for vinyl, like, opened it up a little bit so you can hear things you didn't hear. Because when, when you get something that's – well, Lions wasn't, you know, as – compressed is like by your side but when you get stuff that's compressed you lose things in that range and sometimes things just kind of little nuances fall by the wayside you know i'm super impressed with it are you yeah it's it was it was nicely done some of the things that stick out to me is some of the guitar parts in the background on uh greasy grass river i was listening tonight some um cypress tree has a little ear candy on it that uh that i never have heard I did notice that, yeah, because that's uh, I love that tune, and I would almost go so far as to say, you know, if you were in two minds about Lions before this, that the LP might put you over to the plus side, you know. Well, even the songs that I don't like sonically sound good. Young man, old man, even Ozone Mama sonically sounds good. I, I'm not a fan of the song, but I still contend like you take like three or four songs off that. And trim it down and put those uh, those B sides that were rec- some of those some of the B sides that were recorded on it. And you got to I think people view it differently. I, I, st- I still never have just understood like it's just there's no in between on this album. No, definitely not. You know, and the thing that annoys me, by the way, about that Ozone Mama is, uh, you know, I don't much care for the lyrics, but damn, is there a good harmonica solo on that thing? Oh yeah, I mean the playing on it's great. About half the people listen to us are gonna get mad because we're talking good about it but i thought it was very very well done and i tell you something else you know i haven't talked to you about this the past week for whatever reason i've been on like a massive reggae kick well that's a good thing yeah i think when uh toot tibbert died and i was like well you know he was on that government mule live album and you hear so much stuff about him so i just like went nuts on reggae the past week like listen to him burning spear obviously bob marley peter tosh even some of the newer bands, like Slightly Stupid and, and stuff like that. Are you into reggae at all? Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who uh, unfortunately passed away about five years ago, he was into reggae big time and got me into it. And actually, when Toots Hibbert passed away, I pulled out – I have uh, the Funky Kingston album, which has like pressure drop on it and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I have all of Bob Marley's records. I mean, you know, the standard stuff. I didn't get like uh, – I didn't go too far down the rabbit hole, but um, – it's interesting. It's one of the most like historied kind of music because uh, there's some stuff that comes before it that's like this like Jamaican soul kind of thing that turned into reggae and, and you know even some of that early stuff is great. Like I have some old 
you know, Desmond Decker records and things like that. And those are really interesting. Well, I got um, the, I guess it's the 40th anniversary of Bob Marley's legend on double vinyl and put it on the other day. Man, it sounds good on the turntable. I bet it does. I've been holding out for an original pressing of that legend just because I'd like to find like a, you know, a 1984, I think it came out, you know, that year. You and you're hunting down these different pressings. I know. It's just something about an original to me. Like that was the first one that came out. Although, you know, sometimes the, the, uh, the reissues, you know, are, are an improvement on the sound of the original. You know, I, much like, you know, people seem to forget, like much like CDs, at, w- at one point there was just a lot of lesser quality records just being churned out you know maybe the vinyl wasn't as good and you know not everyone is a an audiophile pressing you know right well as of as we record this supposedly micrology shipped yeah mine's on the road somewhere too is yours coming from california yes we both ordered from the same place right red yeti red yeti and it popped up yesterday from someplace else and i almost pulled the trigger on it as like a a backup but i didn't do it so hopefully i'm going to get it i've seen online where several people already have it and I've tried to get people to comment and say how it sounds, but I haven't heard yet. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't uh, catch anybody that actually uh, had it. I do know that um, originally uh, one of the Black Crows reissues, I think it was before the Frost. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I ordered it from SRC Vinyl. I had a really bad experience with them. So I found Red Yeti was when the Crowology came out. I found them and I took a shot on them. And it seems like they're, they were good about communicating every time the date was pushed back. They'd send you an email and you know they kept you up, up to speed on everything. Right. Yeah, I, I've had a good experience with them. I got burned by Bull Moose on, um, before the frost. Yeah, well, see, the problem is like these stores like Bull Moose and things. And, you know, there's perfectly fine stores, I'm sure. But they do a pre-order on it, not knowing how many they're going to be able to get. So, you know, you got a ton of people pre-order this thing, and then if, if more than the number that they get pre-order it, then they just, you know, then you don't get it. So it's not even – they don't tell you that up front, which is kind of misleading a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's frustrating, especially when, like, on that um, – for the Frost, I had opportunities to get it from other places. And I passed because I thought I was going to get it. Ultimately, I got it, and I'm glad I got it. Get Crowology, and then my collection's done, except I think we talked about it last time for uh, the live album. Yeah, freaking row, which it goes for a couple hundred dollars. Well, I mean, you know, Christmas is coming up, David. <laughs> you know, before before you know it. Hey, if somebody gets me a copy of a freaking roll on, on vinyl, uh, you're guaranteed a guest spot on State of America. <laughs> Did have some official news this week. It looks like the European tour is finally officially canceled. Did you see that? Yeah, in much the same manner that the U.S. tour was kind of done. With a uh, you know dates to be rescheduled, it looks like they might have actually rescheduled already because I think they added some some new dates to it as well. I think so. I think so. Man, I just I hope they're able to tour next summer. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a strange time we're living in, man. And I, I hope we can get back to some semblance of normal within the in the relatively near future. Me too. I mean, I'm I'm just like I'm dying for music. You know, a lot of bands are really hitting it out of the park with the live stream stuff and all that. And But, you know, it's just, it's not exactly the same thing, you know. Speaking of which, come on, Chris Rich, guys. Let's do a, let's do a live stream. I'm surprised they haven't done one. I mean, you and I were talking about this privately. Like, I'm surprised even individually they haven't done something. Marcus King did one four nights, four weeks in a row on a, like a Monday night with like full band. And 
man, it was fantastic. And then uh, Blackberry Smoke is going to do three coming up soon. Uh, get on their website and, and get the information for that. I tell you that black that Blackberry Smoke thing. You know, because you mentioned it, that uh, you can get you know tickets to all three shows. And then get like a you know like a merch bundle with it, and it's like I think it was like a hundred and fifty bucks. I mean, that's a steal. And they and they keep teasing like some big guests. So who knows? Maybe yeah. Chris or Rich shows up. That'd be something. I, th- I think one of them's from the Ryman. Rich could show up for that one. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was I was planning on you know locking in for all three. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look at my look at my schedule. I'm gonna try to do it. Well, Ian, we said at the beginning it had been a big week for us. Why don't you tell everybody who, who you got us an interview with? Well, by uh, incredible good fortune, we were lucky enough to be able to welcome uh, Ms. Susan Tedeschi to the show this week. And, uh, man, what a uh, fantastic interview that was. I mean, what a human being. Just a, a, a sunny disposition and uh, very interesting and very engaged and engaging you know, we could have you know easily talked for several hours with her, but she was kind enough to to allot us the time that she did, and just fantastic, super nice. I you just want to go hang out with her, talk music with her. That's that's exactly it. Like the the entire time, I was like, man, this is someone I could really just hang around with and chat, and yeah, just very positive and very enthusiastic about doing what we're doing. Kudos to her for being such a. Uh, such a kind person to us. You know? Oh, and they, and they were she was so nice to give us forty five minutes, which is a lot more than we asked for. Yeah, it's almost twice as what we were originally asking for. So, hopefully, you know, one of the things we talk about in the interview is a uh, a documentary film that that they had put together of their performance of Mad Dogs and Englishmen at uh, the two thousand fifteen Locken Festival. Once that gets a release, we will hopefully maybe have her back to, to chat about that a little bit. That'd be great. Maybe have her in, Derek. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Susan Tedeschi, she had a uh, prolific solo career, and then she married Derek Trucks, and then they more or less married their bands together uh, and formed Tedeschi Trucks Band, a band that is really, like before the pandemic, was really gaining steam. They were playing big places, and uh, like I mentioned to her in the interview like they've done things the right way they've gone out and earned it absolutely and um in my opinion in the last 10 years the the two two most exciting bands i've seen come along live and on on record are the tedeschi trucks band and the wood brothers Uh, and their paths have crossed you know several times guesting on each other's albums and things so yeah i just just fantastic band so if you aren't familiar with them what ian and i decided to do was come up with a 10 song playlist to introduce you to the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and they've got four studio albums, and then they have two official live albums. And so what Ian was going to do was going to pick five songs from the first three albums, and I was going to pick five songs from the second three albums, and we were just going to put a playlist together, uh, songs we thought we could give to people that never listened to Tedeschi Trucks before. So Ian, what are your five? Well, I figured we go kind of chronologically here. So uh, I started... From the band's first album, Revelator, uh, is a song called Bound for Glory.
understand uh, your lovely wife is a fan of this tune. She walks around the house singing it all the time. I went and saw him last summer, and she went with me, and uh, they played it, and, and she loved it. It's just it's a catchy tune, and you know, I, I was talking to my wife actually about them. They are a lot like Marcus King in that they can get people like my wife, who's not a music fan, you know, doesn't know the Black Crows from Black Sabbath, but she hears Susan Tedeschi's voice, and she wants to go hear them. And then you have people that are music nuts like us hear her voice and want to go see them. And we hear Derek Trucks' guitar playing. And, you know, they do jam some. So people like us that appreciate that. And then they, they just do such tasteful covers. And then Susan Tedeschi's like, to me, it's a top 10 voice. Top 10. I mean, she's just, it's just a beautiful voice. And so I think they're always going to draw great crowds because of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you're 100% right about her voice. Underrated, in my opinion, because you don't hear it mentioned quite often enough uh, at least you know mainstream wise well what's your next song so the next song i picked was also from revelator and it's a song called until you remember pick that man that is that's got some bite to it you want to talk about susan's voice this is a showcase for it i mean mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how good uh, she sings on this one it's uh it's uh, it's heartbreaking in all the best ways i love it yeah if you if i were doing songs from the first three albums that was one for sure that would be on there see i didn't let you down i know <laughs> so then the next track i i picked the studio version is on the first album but this is from the everybody's talking live album which is their their first official live album, and that's uh, Midnight in Harlem.
I picked the live version of this because it has this intro that Derek Trucks does, like this mm. kind of slide piece that it leads into the song, and it, it just adds that much more to it. Yeah, I mean, I think if they have like a signature song, this is their signature song. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great great song. Yeah, you, you're three for three. Derek Trucks, uh, his playing on this, not only the you know the uh, rhythm playing, but his slide playing, you know, all around. The uh, you know the drumming, the the organ, everything just kind of melds together nice. It is really you're right. It's a signature track. So the next track I picked was also from the uh, Everybody's Talking Live album, and that was uh, Learn How to Love. This tune was on their first album, Revelator, also, but I think the uh, the live version just has that much more to it. You know, it's uh, it just hits it hits that much better. You know, so I, I really like that. I like the song, and I love the live version of it. I agree. I agree. Good pick. And then my final pick, because I only had one slot left, it was hard to pick just one song from the Made Up Mind album, but I went with the song uh, "Do I Look Worth." I think it's a, it was just a good, straight-up, fun tune. I really liked it. It kind of showcases their ability to do that kind of thing, you know. I, I tried to pick stuff that kind of hit on different styles, uh, you know, a bit to show their versatility, you know what I mean? I would have gone off with off that album, It's So Heavy. It was a toss-up, I'll tell you. All right, so let's see. Uh, let's, my, let's see my five. From their uh, Live in Oakland album is their version of the Derek and the Dominoes, Keep On Growing.
Derek Trucks is, I think, named after that album. And they would go on at Lockin to cover that entire album, but uh, I love this version. Yeah, fantastic cover. I was just listening to that live album uh, yesterday. Do you have it on vinyl? I don't, actually. Uh, I just have it on uh, on CD, unfortunately. But uh, I was really taken by that cover. That's a nice pick because uh, Susan really sings well on it. And then whoever handles the second vocal part, I'm not entirely sure who that is, but uh, that sounds great also. All right, my second song is off the last album, Signs, When Will I Begin? talk about on, on the interview that this was a, probably their most personal album and there's some songs she said they can't play live because they're too personal i just think this is a beautiful showcase of the tenderness of her voice yeah because she's known for being able to really belt them out like you know and uh but this is kind of like the more subtle aspects of her her vocal range and it's it's a great tune it is very it sounds a very personal tune to me and speaking of her belting stuff out i went with anyhow listen i think it's on the live album and they just have this thing where it's just her singing along to the melody of it to the beginning to go into it. it's just absolutely beautiful all right another song that i've got to think is really personal for them and probably hard for them to play off signs is all the world all the world is bleeding, 
Nice tune. Just such a just su- it's a very it's a very very moving song. And then I thought, well, we got to go with something upbeat. Also off signed Hard Case, which was one of the singles. <laughs> just a fun song to listen to yes it, that was the single though because i remember the hype sticker saying hard case on it so that must have been what they put out the radio nice uh five nice picks for you there david i never knew that was called a hype sticker yeah i learned something new every day Don't you, haven't you ever been on like uh vinyl groups or anything where they, where they sell old vinyl and stuff like that that they'll, also, they'll always say with hype sticker i don't get it that much in the weeds oh it's just me huh i'm out there <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a miner's helmet on <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So we have a nice list of uh, 10 tunes, selections from every album, and uh, this is a good introduction to the band. If you do like what you hear, though, I, I really encourage everybody to go to the band's website, go to their official store, and you know, pick up something, a piece of vinyl, a CD, what have you, just support the band in some way. I mean, David and I both joined their Swamp Family fan club, which is $40 a year, and uh, you know, it gets you access to early tickets and concert vault stuff and all kinds of cool stuff so just show your show some love to the tedeschi trucks band because they're great and also i wanted to say there is a tedeschi trucks podcast out there called the unofficial tedeschi trucks podcast a friend of the show adam hosts that um go listen to that it's uh it's it's a really good podcast and i've talked to him about having him on and i think we're going to try to get him on at some point but the unofficial Tedeschi Trucks podcast. Go listen to that. It's a, kind of a lot like ours. It's just, you know, it's him interviewing fans and, and people that have been associated with the band. So uh, go support that. We also have a little uh, giveaway plan for this episode, don't we, David? We do. So first of all, thank you to everybody that's been leaving reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. Please keep those coming. We straight up get asked about our numbers sometimes when we try to have people on. And so the more numbers we have, you know, the more guests we can get. And those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts really help us. So please, please, please continue to do that. If you leave one, screenshot it, send it to me. And uh, uh, we just got some stickers in. And uh, I'll send you some State of America stickers. But what we're going to do this week, we're going to have a Twitter-specific giveaway. Last week we had a Facebook-specific giveaway. And this week we're going to have Twitter. So here are the rules. I'm going to post the episode. I'm going to tag the Tedeschi Trucks Twitter at Derek and Susan. So I'm going to tag them in the Twitter post with the episode. What we need you to do is retweet the episode 
and make sure that they are tagged in it as well. And we're going to randomly pick somebody that retweets that, but you have to make sure Derek and Susan are tagged. And we're going to give you a brand new vinyl copy of their last album, Signs. Now, there's a caveat. It's got to be somebody that lives in the lower 48. We'll try to do something in the future for people that live outside the state. But just with everything that's going on right now and the craziness of our postal system and everything, we're going to limit to people that live in the lower 48. Yeah, so, I mean, we really would uh, appreciate everybody uh, showing up on this one and uh, participating. If nothing else, it'll it'll show our, our new friend Susan Tedeschi that it was worth her while to uh, have a chat with us, you know what I mean? So, please do that. And if you're not following us on Twitter, it's at State of Amorca. And like our Facebook page and our Instagram page, State of Amorca Podcast. We can't thank you all enough for your support and everything that you've done to help us get to this. The podcast is really picking up momentum. We have some more things planned that are going to be good, and we just really appreciate everybody helping us out. So follow us on Twitter and and get in on that Twitter contest. And then if you haven't been following us on Twitter, I give away stuff without a contest all the time. So uh, Ian, you booked it. You got it. Why don't you throw to our guest? All right, everybody, without any further ado, please welcome Ms. Susan Tedeschi to the podcast. Thanks for listening. everybody you know ian and i started this podcast about a year and a half ago and uh, we've had a couple of pinch me moments uh first one i guess was when uh, matt slocum came on and then steve gorman and charlie Starr and Britt turner and we had mark olson from jayhawks well this is a, a another one of those moments it is a real honor to welcome to the podcast miss susan Tedesco. hello well it's an honor to be here especially amongst all the people you just named because those are some of my favorite people (laughs) we always say to each other like we haven't met anybody doing this that has been anything other than just extremely nice and pleasant to talk to well that's that's always a plus so um susan i listened to a podcast that derek did recently with eric krasno and he was saying you guys were planning to take a considerable amount of time off this year obviously not as much time (laughs) as you've had to take but uh Kind of, how did you spend your quarantine experience, and is there any new music going to come out of that? Well, definitely some new music coming out of that. Um, we did plan to take off March, April, and May. So Derek had the one show with the Almond Brothers at Madison Square Garden on March 10th, and then we played a benefit at the Beacon Theater on March 12th. And then after that, we were planning on taking off three months. And so our band and crew was ready to be paid to take off because really we've been through so much, you know, with the loss of Kofi, 
Kofi Burbridge, who is our, you know, keyboard player, flautist, arranger, writer, you know, just a huge part of, of our lives. You know, with him passing, it was really no time to really mourn. And so we had kind of planned, you know, to take some time off just for the band to really just kind of, you know, we've been touring nonstop, like our whole lives. And so it was kind of interesting. My parents and Derek's parents both called us during quarantine and they both said, you know, this is the most time either of you have ever had off in your lives before high school. So because we both are workaholics and, you know, a little crazy that way. But in a way, it, um, I, you know, we, my parents thought it was incredible timing. You know, my dad's like, are you Nostradamus? You know, <laughs> he's kidding around. He's like, how did you know to take off now? And I was like, well, we didn't. And, you know, and I... I definitely think that that was a blessing that we had prepared for that. But at the same time, nobody is expecting to take off a year, you know, especially as touring musicians like our band is. And, you know, so that's really difficult. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was fine for the first three months and now it's been six months. And we actually are have had an amazing time during quarantine because we really had an, a lot of time at home with our kids. Um, our son just started college. So we actually had a few months at home with him before he left the nest. So that was really nice. And our daughter is home with us. So, you know, it's really been good for the family and for our relationship, honestly, just to be off the road for a minute. Uh, Derek and I have been together 21 years, pretty much. I mean, this is our 19th wedding anniversary coming up in December. So, you know, we've been through a lot, and honestly, it's been really nice to have a break, and it's been really good, and it's actually helped us finally get a little bit, like, of clarity just to sit down and write and to just, like, have a little free time to just, you know, explore your imagination and, and you know, really get in the creative process of writing again. And everybody in the band has been writing. You know, everybody's been home, and we did get together up at our farm in Georgia with um, with Mike Madison and, and Falcon, Brandon Boone, our bass player, and our keyboard player, Gabe Dixon, who's an incredible writer. Um, so everybody has come up with a lot of really nice ideas. And Derek and I have been writing as well. And then all of us are just trying to combine forces and finish some of these songs. And we have about 26 new ideas. So I'd say we're definitely in the creative process now. And when, uh, when do you resume touring? We don't know. You know, that's a thing that's really hard. Um, you know, we had to cancel our summer tour just as, you know, we're here to talk about the Black Crows. And I know that they had to cancel theirs as well. And actually, our old bass player was supposed to go out with them, Tim Lefave, which would have been really fun to see. Um, so sad about that. But, um, you know, we had to reschedule this year's tour for next year, which we did. But we still don't know until that time comes to see really where our, you know, especially our country, where our country is at. You know, we're not really doing things the same as they do in other countries, which is really shut down fully, you know, make the curve come way down, and then then you can explore, you know. But, you know, we have a lot of headstrong people in this country. <laughs> they want their freedom, apparently, more than caring about each other. So that's weird. But, um, but you know, it's just trying to learn how to live together with people and, and try to be positive and and just trying to do your part, you know, stay home as much as you can, protect your loved ones, you know, try to keep our, you know, our older family members at home, which is difficult. But, you know, just trying to help out as much as we can. Well, I think one of the blessings that's going to come from this is going to be all the new music from everybody. I've already told my wife, I was like, look, this is the longest I've ever gone since I was 15 without going to a concert. Like, I, you know, 
next year it's on. Like I'm, I'm, I'm blowing the budget, you know, I'm going to see whoever I want to go see, you know, I'm, I'm buying, you know, all the new music that, that comes out. And I think that's going to come from it. And I'm sure from a, just an inspiration standpoint, the uncertainty is, is good for the creative juices for, for writing. It is. And that's very true. And, and honestly, not knowing exactly when you're going to be working is a little difficult, but at the same time, it, it gives you the freedom to feel like you're not under pressure. So you can be creative and, and you can come up with different ideas. And then when you do know when it's time to go back to work, then you just do. And just like we used to do, you know, okay, it's time. We get a plan now. And then you just prepare. And so I think it'll be great, you know, once we start working. And, and hopefully that'll be by next March or April or May or June at the latest. Hopefully. <laughs> I hope so, because I had tickets to see it this past July and it was rescheduled for next July. So hopefully I'll be able to, to get to that. But uh, I mean, you guys have been touring, uh, you know, pretty steadily for since the band started. Talk a little bit about how you guys, you and Derek came together to do the Tedeschi Trucks band, because I know for a few years prior to that, you did the Soul Stew revival. And how did that turn from that into you know, the full-fledged Tedeschi Trucks band? Well, really, it was Derek that had the creative idea to say, all right, we've been together this long. How about we join forces and do a band? And of course, it came at a time when I was like, what? Like right now, I finally felt like for the first time I had had like a band that was really solidified and that we were really starting to go somewhere and writing. And, and you know, we had just been up for a Grammy against Derek's band. Which it was funny. I voted for him and he didn't vote. So I was kind of mad. I was like, what if I voted the one vote that got you the Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they were both really wonderful records and he was just ready for a change. And so at the time, I was a little hesitant. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to be in a band with Derek because he's so fantastic and not just as a guitar player, but as a band leader and, you know, just a creative force, you know, he's really great at, you know, organizing band members and getting people to do stuff. And, you know, I'm not good at that. So honestly, I'm like, I'm in, let's do this. I'll, and I'm, I've always been my own boss, you know, so that was kind of hard at first, but, you know, looking back, you know, it was really such a great, great opportunity to just put like the most badass band together and to be with people that we love and and to, you know, find the place that we're at now, you know, because we didn't have all the perfect band members at the time, you know, that really wanted to be there. And, you know, and it, and music is hard like that, you know, being on the road and, and traveling and and it's a lot of commitment. And, you know, you realize, you know, how lucky you are to play with anybody at any given moment, you know. Well, you guys have definitely built things, I think, the right way. Like, I, I live in Jackson, Mississippi, and you guys have played here three or four times in the last couple of years. Every time you're at a bigger venue. And then this last summer, you sold out the amphitheater with uh, on the Wheels of Soul tour. And you guys are just really dedicated to, to touring. That really pays off a lot because that last album was so good. Oh, thank you. Just, I really enjoyed it. I wanted to ask you about that because, to me, it seemed to be the most personal album you guys have put out. Is that is that a fair assessment? Oh, yes. It was very personal. I mean, some of the songs were as personal as we couldn't even play them live because it was too hard. You know, I mean, that song, the ending that we wrote with, with Oliver Wood, you know, being about the colonel, really, passing, was um, very personal. And, it, and it's hard to get through emotionally. Um, but then there were songs like you know, signs and, and songs that were a lot of fun to sing, but they're also personal because they actually are telling the story of what's going on in the moment, 
you know, politically and, you know, all these other things that we all have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, and, and everybody really had a lot of involvement in that record, you know, at the time. So, you know, I, I definitely feel like it was a very personal record um, for the band, not just individually, but as a unit. Um, and it shows, you know, our strength together as a, as a whole, you know, of who we are. You know, we're a very diverse group of people that travel all around the world together. And definitely we get some head turning, you know, especially in places like Japan. <laughs> you know, we really <laughs> stay, stand out. But, um, but, you know, one of the great things about this band, too, is that <clears throat> it is constantly changing and, and the world's changing. So we change with it. You know, we we listen and, and we have feelings and we try to get it out in the music. You know, we're not just out there trying to put out bubblegum hits. You know, we're. We're out there trying to really move people and help heal. You know, we're trying to be positive and, and have a positive message. And, and, you know, that's all we can do, really, you know, and, and make it fun. You know, make great music that's mixed up, you know, different types of grooves and, and, and just include everybody. Well, you mentioned, you know, things changing constantly. One thing that's changed, you know, more recently is the way that people take in music. You know, like streaming has become the, uh, you know, the, uh, the top means that a lot of people get their music. And, and so I feel that's kind of forced a lot of artists to reinvent their approach and touring becomes that much more important. Is that part of the reason why the band tours for such longer lengths of time? Yes. And also because, you know, when you tour, a few things happen. One, the music evolves, you know, so when you go in and, and you record a record, like Derek tends to like to record a record when the music is at its birthplace, sort of, like right when we've written a song, and then to capture the the humility of the song, like the the actual bare beauty of it. And But I like, personally, I'm more of a live performer more than a studio performer, I guess you could say. So I tend to really like how it evolves and where it goes and how it grows and how all of a sudden it starts to develop into other things. And and um, and I know the, the whole band loves that too. So it, it keeps it fresh and you don't really feel like you're playing the same song every night necessarily. And we don't, we, we mix it up. You know, this band has such a, an amazing collection of songs now. Um, you know, it's been together 10 years, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, I, I really, I can't even believe some of the places we've gone and some of the shows that we've played. And, you know, looking back, I, I, I really need to keep a journal better. And it, it's hard to keep up with everything that we've done. But um, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And I, I really love this band a lot. It's, it's given me, you know, an incredible outlet to get to sing and, and play and, and do what I do, but also to, to just be involved with so many other amazing musicians. You know, it's very humbling and it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me working, <laughs> which, which is good. Speaking of, of playing cool places, I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, not far from the Dockery Plantation. And oh, yeah. you guys played a show there. And for people that aren't familiar, you can make a case that American music basically came from that Absolutely. section of land. I mean, it's Charlie Patton, Robert Johnson, Howlin' Wolf, Top Staples. Staples yeah. All these people spent time there. What was it like playing there? It was really heavy. You know, so, yeah, we went to Dockery Farms. And just like you mentioned, all, a lot of those people played there. Well, it was a plantation. And it was actually one of the first places that you could go. Um, and if you not go, but like if you live there, you were given an opportunity to actually kind of work your way up a little bit and finally, you know, have 
um, you know, they would call it their own kingdoms, you know, so there would be certain people that would be in charge of certain amount of acres. Now, that stuff is difficult land to work. And I'm sorry, I feel like, you know, when I went there, it was incredibly heavy being a blues musician and, and knowing, you know, knowing Mavis Staples really well and her father and, you know, she, it was interesting. We heard the story about how her parents named, you know, Pops was um, Sears. <clears throat> I mean, it was Roebuck. But her, her, his brother was Sears, so they were Sears and Roebuck, which I thought was a trip, which I, I had never known. But, uh, yeah, he was Roebuck Staples, and and he had bought his first guitar right at the gas station up there, right down the street. And so there's all these amazing stories about Robert Johnson came to town, and he went and played. But Charlie Patton was sort of like, that was his hang. That was his jam. And he actually would, would charge money. Um, which was script at the time, which was money that was made by the plantation. And he would charge, you know, a lot of the the folks to cross the bridge to go. And they had this house that they had kind of cleared out and put all these like huge um, trash cans where they, you know, with kerosene and stuff and then lit it up to in it and put all these mirrors so you could see it far away because there wasn't electricity, you know. So when it got dark, you know, you could see this kind of like nightclub-y, cool place and then they'd have everybody like book a white or whoever playing in there you know um so it, i mean it really has so much really cool mysterious history to it you know that we just don't even know but so much incredible american music came from there so i agree with you i think it's a birthplace of of american music jazz blues a lot of that came out of there um, and so there's a lot of stories to be told. And, you know, Mississippi in general, you were saying you're from Jackson, you know, it really does have such an amazing spirit about it, you know, a feeling. And it's very intense and, and you really can feel the history um, of the place. And also being from Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew is from Jackson, Mississippi. My, my, my in-laws are good <laughs> friends with his parents. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a sweetheart. He came out actually last week. Uh, Derek is going to be surprised doing an anthem that he came okay. here and watched Derek record it for, for one of the Jags games coming up, and which was very exciting. Derek's never done the anthem by himself. So, so that's kind of exciting news. Um, but what a sweetheart, you know, really, really good people beautiful beautiful sweet man so um excited for him to do well he's already 1-0 for jags which is great um but you know there's so many great things about being a musician and traveling that we are missing right now which is those human experiences you know like going to see dockery farms and meeting those people and hearing the stories going all around the united states or going to canada or going to you know, Europe and, and going to Japan and places like that. And you start to really learn the history of all these places and the people and the you realize how small a world it is and how connected we all are, you know, and that's a really beautiful thing. And, and that's one of the reasons I love to tour so much is because I love to meet the people and see and, and people love music, you know, and they need it. You know, and there's a lot of stress out there. And, and that's one of the great things about going to see concerts, which I know you guys miss, is just that release. You know, I used to get that going. out. I'd, I'd be on tour opening for people and I just had a ball. You know, I got to tour opening for the Almond Brothers and I'm like, Woo, this is the best band ever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to get that release and to hear live music. It's very empowering and and it's beautiful. And and, you know, we can't forget that, you know, and. <clears throat> the things you take for granted, you realize during a pandemic, you know, you realize, wow, I miss going out to restaurants and wow, I really miss going out and seeing live music 
And I miss traveling and being able to just pick up and get on a plane and go somewhere, you know. And, you know, these are all things that we take for granted. You know, we're really very lucky in the United States, and we don't want to lose these things. You know, we want to help support the people that are having a hard time right now and, and just remember that. You had mentioned cool experiences doing live performances. And, and one of the, the high watermarks I would imagine for you guys was when you uh, recreated the Mad Dogs and Englishmen performance originally by uh, you know Joe Cocker and his band at the 2015 Locken Festival. What kind of led you guys to, to pay tribute to that and put that all together? So one great thing about Locken is, is they like to mix match different artists that maybe don't get together and and play. So they try to force these really fun, weird creations. And they tried to get us to do a show with Joe Cocker, which we were going to do, but then Joe got sick and he ended up passing away. And so that was very sad and devastating because, of course, he's one of the greatest singers, you know, especially rock and roll singers of all time. Um, And then the idea came up, well, what about getting together the remaining members of Mad Dogs and Englishmen? And Derek's like, well, maybe if we can get Leon on board, then the other people would come. And so we had been lucky enough to have been doing some shows with Leon. Um, we had, you know, he actually came out and did some shows with our band. Uh, his band did and our band got together and we did some shows and, and it just really clicked, you know. And, and he's such an amazing, amazing musician. Like he's... For us, you know, just a huge legend because he was really one of the main people that you can kind of, if you go back in time and you start to really look at the musicians that he was around and surrounded by and and that he could throw together and just make an incredible band with. I mean, you wouldn't have had bands like Delaney and Bonnie and Eric Clapton's Layla record and all that stuff, you know, without people like Leon and and. It was nice that Elton John paid tribute to him, you know, and started to give him some some of the due that he deserved. Um, but but actually, at the end of the day, they're like, OK, well, what about doing this? And then Leon said, OK, I'm on board. And then Derek and Leon had a really nice talk. And Derek's like, well, so what do you want to do? Like, do you want to be the musical director? Like, do you want to take charge? And he's like, you know, I've already done that. He's like, how about you do that? And if you need me, I'm here. And, and Derek's like, okay, oh my gosh. But it really worked out great. And so, you know, we got together as a band and we learned all the tunes and we, you know, made a list and, and Lockin had suggested certain people to be on the show, like Dave Mason and Chris Robinson. Well, actually, I think I came up with Chris because I was thinking who's like, like the only living white dude that can sound like Joe Cogger, <laughs> you know, would be Chris. Um, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of amazing people. Doyle Bramhall came out um, and played on it. And also JB from Widespread, he did an amazing job. Um, so it was really cool. It was like a really nice eclectic mix of people with the original members. So we had people like Rita Coolidge and we had uh, Claudia Lanier, who people know is Brown Sugar, you know, who Rolling Stones wrote that song about her, you know, because she was so hot. I mean, she's just so hot, gorgeous. And what a sweetheart. I mean, these women are so nice and just what a beautiful thing that we could get together with them and, and all these other guys like Chuck Blackwell was still here. Um, he's passed away. Leon has passed away since, you know, to get all of them together after 45 years, you know. I mean, this year, it's 50 years ago this year, but it was five years ago. So 40. And thank God we did it when we did it, because a lot of them aren't here anymore. Um, But it was really magical. So we got together and we had worked up the tunes 
And then they came and sat in. You know, we had two days of rehearsal at Lock-In. They have like a carriage house. That's a really nice piece of property that people can borrow to, you know, work up their sets and stuff with with some of the other artists. So we did that for two days, and the songs just really came together. And we just let them pick whatever songs they kind of really wanted to do, you know, their dream songs that they wanted. And then we would just do whatever was left. And that was so fun. And I really had a great time. And it was great to get to hang out with Chris because, you know, you really, you know, Chris Robinson, one thing about him that's interesting is you didn't realize how influential that band was to him. And, you know, and I knew how it was for me and I knew how it was for Derek. But like it was cool to see a lot of the younger artists, you know, how excited they were to get to play with Leon Russell or Chris Dayton, you know, um, you know, so it was it was really cool. And Dave Mason is really sweet and down to earth. And, you know, it's just nice that everybody could just get together. And it was just full love. You know, it was just pure love. There was no egos involved. There was no, you know, weird competition or anything like that, which can happen in music. But it didn't on that. And it was a really beautiful experience. And I'm really thankful to people like Jesse Lauder, who actually filmed it and made a documentary out of it and has turned it into a movie, which we're trying to get distribution for now, which would be amazing because it's awesome. It's awesome. I watched it. I was really proud because it has footage of the old band, footage of, you know, us all rehearsing and working on stuff and then live, you know, performances as well. So it was really an amazing opportunity, and I am just so grateful because, you know, we have footage now of Leon and Kofi playing together, you know, and and Chuck Blackwell there with Falcon and JJ, and, you know, it was just like really, it was a really special experience, and it'll never happen again, you know, and these are people that have changed music, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, so it was it was really special. Obviously, um, you know, you guys went on the last proper tour that the Crows have done in 2013. How did that come to be? Was Is that like, would this be a good idea or how does that happen? I don't know exactly how it came together other than a lot of times they'll say, you know, who do you guys want to tour with? You know, and Derek and I will sit down and we're like, well, what bands are out there that we'd really want to do something with, you know? And so we put our heads together and it would be like, oh, you know, bands come up like Wilco or or like you mentioned, the Jayhawks and people like that. And then they're they're trying to think, well, you know, you got to sell tickets. You know, it's all about this and that. The promoters and the managers get together. And I'm like, well, who would be a really cool show? I was like, well, Black Crows, of course. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that timing worked out that those guys were into doing it and we were into doing it and we just made it happen. You know, so, of course, we got everybody involved, all the managers and and whatnot and and promoters and stuff. And everybody was excited to do it. And I was I was thrilled because I love them. And I I think they're such a great band, especially live. You know, it's just so nice to hear them just rock out. And those tunes, I mean, I I grew up in the 90s. I mean, shoot. I mean, I was in high school when they came out. I'm only a couple of years younger than Rich and Chris. So I remember when they when they made it big and I loved hearing them on the radio, you know. And so to get to actually tour with them, it was a thrill for me. You know, I loved it. And people love those songs, you know. They just start tearing into it and people are like, oh, my God, they lose their minds, <laughs> you know. So it was fun. When we spoke to Steve Gorman, he had mentioned that that was – the favorite tour he'd ever had done with the band because he had had so much fun on it. Was it a fun atmosphere? Oh, it was so much fun. Well, so our band has a lot of fun 
on their own anyway. So whenever we go on tour with another band, we try to bring them into our family. Because it's not just like it's our band. It's our band and our crew. And so everybody is just like a big loving festival, you know, sort of. So um, going out with those guys, you know, of course, we have a lot of love for for Chris and Rich and, and Steve and... Adam McDougal and people like um, Jackie Green. Jackie Green and I were on Ver Forecast together, you know, when we both first, you know, really started getting going with our careers. So we've known each other a long time, too. Um, so it was really such a great mix, you know. And honestly, the chemistry was great and the hangs were fun. There was definitely some debauchery and some partying and some silliness. But, you know, I love the sense of humor those guys have, too, you know. I mean, Steve Gorman can tell stories for days, and it's just so fun. And, you know, and Chris and Rich, too. And and it was cool. Like, you really could get separate time with everybody. And, you know, we'd all eat together. You know, we'd have dinner together every night. And then we'd party afterwards and then get up and do it again. So it was it was really a wonderful tour. We all had a really good time. Well, one of the highlights every night was a lot of times you guys came out at the end and, and you would do a Space Captain and you do a Turn On Your Love Light. How does that work? Do you throw out the songs or does Chris say, hey, we can do these? Do you want to come on? Or I've always been interested in how that happens. Yeah, a lot of times it's Derek. You know, a lot of times Derek would be like, this is this would be a good tune for you guys to do, you know, and then. I'd, I'd push for certain songs. You know, I always love doing Little Help for My Friends, and I always thought that was a great one to do, and Space Captain, of course. And then, you know, there'd be nights that Chris would come up and sing Sticks and Stones or, you know, different things from the Mad Dogs stuff that we did. Um, but a lot of times we would just get up and do stuff together and songs that we knew, like you said, Love Light, you know, songs that obviously are songs that everybody kind of knows and that we could just get up and jam on. And and it would switch night to night. And some nights, you know, maybe Chris would have a suggestion. But a lot of times it was Derek. You know, Derek is really good at at knowing how to, you know, just sort of highlight things that are going to highlight everybody and be common enough where everyone can figure it out. Any future plans to do any collaborations with uh, any of the Black Crows guys? You know, we don't have anything in the works, but we should. You know, I've I've always thought about writing with Chris, you know, or Rich, you know, I mean, any of those guys. But um, but I would love to do something for sure. I really would. You talked about how, you know, Chris could sing. We've had uh, Charity and Mona on here who were their backup singers. And of course, Mona played with Bob Dylan, everybody. And they all say, like, they can't believe the amount of soul that can come out of his voice. Well, his singing is really quite soulful, like you said. And you can hear the influence in his voice by people like Otis Redding, um, people like Ray Charles. But also, you know, if you get to know Chris, one thing that you you do know that I love about him is he has different personas. And one of them is he becomes this like reggae guy and he has this incredible reggae accent and he sounds like he's from Jamaica. So there's people like Toots Hibbert and, you know, people like that that have influenced him as well. And you can if you know that music. You can hear it in his voice and the way that he phrases. and and But he's created a jambalaya of all these wonderful soul singers, really. I mean, they're all, whether they're from Jamaica or the South or whatever, <clears throat> you know, um, even people, you know, like Robert Plant, you know, British rock bands and, and stuff like that. You know, they all have a similar influence, which is early soul music, you know, early rock and roll. And so he, he really does encompass that sound. And there's not a huge amount of singers that do. 
Um, and it's not easy to pull off. You know, I mean, not everybody can sing like Toots and the Maytals or Bob Marley tune and then jump into, you know, Donny Hathaway tune or, or ju- jump into Led Zeppelin or something. You know, I mean, he really has the qualities that you really kind of crave in a rock and roll voice. And you're right. He doesn't get the accolades that he deserves, you know. But then again, rock music doesn't even really get the accolades nowadays. It's all this other pop and computer music, which is kind of sad. I do think that um, he's not only an amazing singer, but he's a wonderful performer. And he, of course, has like some of the Mick Jagger moves and stuff like that. But he has his own you know, persona and energy on stage, which is really great to watch, you know, and and he really draws people in, I think, with his performance and his intensity, you know, he's he's there and he's giving his heart, he's giving his emotion and you feel it. And and that's what you want from a performer and from a singer a lot of times is you want to feel it and you want to, you know, be drawn into their energy and, and charisma. And he has a lot of that. So you just mentioned, um, the state of the music business. What's your take on how how music is taken in and, and purchased and all the streaming and all that? Where do you find yourself, uh, you know, in the modern music business? Yeah, unfortunately, you don't really want to hear my opinion because I came in at the end of the good old days of music when we had record stores and you could go to Tower Records or you could go to a little mom and pop and go buy records and and read on an album like who played what and I I love that I think that's really special and and it also not only gave credit to the musicians who are on the record but the people behind the scenes you know the you know whoever's producing the record or who's engineering the record and how did they get that sound and how did they mic it and you know and that's why I love like our group so much you know like I don't take these guys for granted at all you know I mean Bobby Tease is here with me now and um you know he's just incredible he works all the time and you know and that stuff shows up on albums and you can read it and you can hear the story you know and you you know the whole picture and so i miss that about the music industry i feel like these kids nowadays they get it it pops up on their itunes which itunes doesn't even really exist now like it's so confusing to me i don't even know why i get a check from bmi but i'm thankful for that but <clears throat> but it's weird. Ever since they started doing Spotify and streaming, like I remember when Napster came out and that was horrible. It was horrible because all of a sudden there's this whole industry that isn't getting their natural congressional statutory royalty rate, you know. And so now there's all these like, you know, Walmarts and Targets and stuff of the world that sell music. But then that's kind of fading out now. And so that used to be like the record clubs. And they're like, oh, well, you like when you would sign a record deal in the old days, like when I was signing record deals, you would sit down and you would talk about royalties and you would talk about the different mediums. Well, everything changed in around 99, 2000, 2001. Stuff really started to change. And what happened was is now there's a new form of media, digital stuff, right? And you had digital tracks. Well, these were not written into the contracts. So what happened was a lot of these record companies were slick and they're like, oh, well, you're not, that doesn't say anything about your royalty rate. So you don't get a royalty rate. I'm like, you just sold the record. You know, that's supposed to be $13 or whatever. And now, or $7. And now you're telling me I get a dollar for that because it's digital. No. Right. So this really, I'm sorry, but if that ever happened in the music, I mean, in the movie industry, these people would go insane. You know, they would lose their minds. But because we're musicians, oh, doesn't matter. 
you know, we can just stream it and steal it. I call it stealing it, but I would I be know. perfectly happy if all the streaming services went away. I mean, I still buy vinyl. Ian buys vinyl, you know, and I'll, I'll pay for a download, you know, iTunes or whatever. I, I, I just wish they would go away. But I mean, it, it's the world in which we live in. It is. And I just wish that we as humans could keep up with the technology. And I think that's where people are not aware of the disconnect between a lot of artists who are actually starving and don't, you know, can barely pay their rent. And that's why they have to tour. You know, that's why do you think the Eagles and the Rolling Stones are still on tour? Because they have a lifestyle that they want to keep up with and they need to make money. And you can't make money selling records anymore. So they have to tour. And then they get 500 bucks a seat to go see these, you know, old rock legends. But I mean, hey, all the power to them if they can get it. But but also, you know, it's a tricky situation because, you know, when we tour live, we don't want to charge people an arm and a leg. We want to just bring the music to people at a decent rate, you know, where they can afford it, you know. So so it's very tricky and it's not really fair to the musicians that they have to think about it in that way. But they do. And. And I've just learned to give up. I don't even think about it anymore. I do this because I love it. I don't do it for money. You know, I'm not in this industry because I'm trying to make a certain royalty rate. You know, I, I it never has been that for me. And I, I realize how lucky I, I've been, you know, to have a career and to make a living at music. And, you know, and I feel bad for these young kids now. They're like, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I didn't do it this way. So I don't know how to do it. I don't have you know, all the answers. I just know hard work, put out your heart and soul into stuff and try to connect with people on a human level. And and that's all we can really do. Well, Susan, we always ask our guests to give us a song to play us out. It can be any song you want. Your song, The Crows, a cover, it doesn't matter. Oh, oh my gosh. Any song? Sorry to put you on the spot, Susan. I have like a hundred ideas. You know, it's so funny. (laughs) It's like when you put somebody on the spot, you're like, almost go blank. How about maybe Stevie Wonder loves and need a love today just because we need more love in the world. And why not? Stevie Wonder is still a living legend and or or Mavis Staples. And I would say you're not alone. Susan, it has been a it has been a pleasure and an honor to get to talk to you. We thank you so much for, yes. for carving out this much time for us. We're very grateful for that. We hope to see you on the on the road soon. I hope so, too. I really do. And I appreciate you guys and keep up the good work just talking about music and getting it out there so people don't forget (laughs) it will get better one day and we will play live again and here to play us out is stevie wonder and mavis staples stay tall everybody Yours and right away.
Yeah. 